Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. And I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to a special guest I've had on before, but uh, she happens to have a brand new book coming out and I know you're gonna love this book. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy. My guest today is Jacqueline Carter. Uh, She is the co-author with Rasmus Hugard of a new book called Mind of a Leader, How to Lead Yourself, your people, and your organization for extraordinary results. Now, uh, Jacqueline is a partner of Potential Project International. She's a director of the Potential Project North America. She's worked with many large clients, including Cisco Adventure, Royal Bank of Canada, and many others. She holds a master's degree in organizational behavior and worked with Deloitte's uh, change leadership practice. She's a fascinating lady, uh, author, and has lived in multiple countries. Just glad to have her back today. Jacqueline, welcome back to the Manager Mojo Show. Thank you so much, Steve. It's great to be here. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. And I want to mention just for the uh, benefit of my listeners that uh, the first time you and I talked, we talked about your great book, One Second Ahead. And uh, I certainly learned a lot about that, and I've had a lot of people talk about how that one extra second made all the difference in the world. So today, we're going to get into your new book, but before we do that, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Well, that's great, and uh, Steve and I were just joking about that before we came on live, that that's so tough because you always want to come up with something really exciting. And uh, my funnest thing that I could come up with is that I have three boys, including twin boys uh, that are 12, and uh, one of my twins won gold in his community league basketball on Saturday, and it was one of those things that 
to the rest of you doesn't matter at all, but to him it really meant the world, and so it was just a really fun day. Well, so that's my one thing. <laughs> you know what? That's an awesome, uh, awesome thing to share, and it reminds all of us that uh, we really work uh, to have great lives for both ourselves, our teams, and our families. And uh, thanks for giving us a great example of how we can do all three. So that's an awesome thing. Now, Jacqueline, the new book, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a, a, a one that we certainly can use a lot because we're going to dive directly into the mind of the leader. And uh, so what I'd like for you to do is just kind of set the stage for uh, our listeners on really what, what's the goal here and what were you guys really targeting uh, whenever you wrote this particular book? Yeah, no, absolutely. So you mentioned One Second Ahead, which was our first book, which is really focused on enhancing performance at work with mindfulness. And that is something that we believe in and that we've been doing for well over a decade, as you mentioned, and Potential Project is a global organization. And we have found that mindfulness is being a core foundational tool for leaders and for all employees to be able to enhance effectiveness and performance and creativity. But a number of years ago, what we started to see was that leaders today are really having a tough time. And specifically in terms of the pressures that they're facing, you know, there's so much focus on quarterly results that makes them want to, you know, they have to work so hard to get the returns. And at the same time, what we continue to see is engagement scores just continue. And I don't think we have to remind people here, you probably know, you know, 13% of the global workforce being um, disengaged. Uh, and so we really saw that as what we saw was a leadership crisis. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to basically go in an evidence-based quest, put our research hats on, and really try to understand what it takes for leaders in the 21st century to not just survive, which is what a lot of them we talked to were <laughs> feeling like they were just surviving, um, but actually to thrive. And so we we interviewed over 250 C-suite executives. We did assessments of over 35,000 leaders, and I just want to put a plug for our research team because they were amazing. Uh, we engaged with leading researchers looking at things from a neurological perspective, so understanding the brain science behind how to lead effectively, um, as well as engaging many of our clients and uh, in a partnership with Harvard Business Review, which was fantastic. But that was really the, the driving force to be able to answer that perhaps simple question, but what does it take to be able to, to be a good leader today? Well, I, I'll tell you, that's an awful, uh, awful big task, and we certainly won't be able to digest all of this today. Uh, but there was one particular thing that really just jumps out at me, and it's a uh, part of your study that uh, I have not actually seen before, and I want to share it with our listeners. And it, you said that uh, while 77% of leaders believe they do a good job of engaging their people, 88% of your employees say you don't. Right. And uh, the, even worse than that, 35% of your employees would prefer to give up a pay raise in order to see their leader fired. Now, that's staggering at how bad we have gotten. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's to put it into context, that's despite $46 billion is spent annually on leadership development. And so that was kind of one of our big questions was, you know, what are, what are organizations getting for all that money that's being spent on leadership development when we know that the, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to be getting a good ROI? 
Well, as you and I know, and uh, we've talked a little bit about before, but the the simple fact is I think people have lost sight of what leadership really is, and they confuse it uh, tremendously uh, with the idea of professional managing of people and systems and stuff. Exactly. Well, and if I can just, uh, we were so inspired by so many of the leaders that we interviewed. One of them, his quote was actually, that leadership today is about unlearning management and relearning being human. One of my favorite quotes in the book is, uh, I actually have it highlighted, Javier Platteval, I believe is, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, CEO of Audi Volkswagen in Spain. Correct, yes. Now, you know, think about that statement. What, What is that really saying? If we've got to unlearn management and relearn being human, uh, what, do you, what does it really say about what we've become? Well, and I think it is because, well, there's a couple of things. I think it is, and we talk about this in the book, I think it is because we have been starting to be driven by too much short-term pressure and short-term results. And we looked into the background around this, that there was a number of years ago, there was an, actually an HBR article that was focused on that organizations should be primarily focused on creating shareholder wealth. and. Mm-hmm. Although that is important, um, and I'm not going to say it's not, but what has happened because of that is there's been a shift away from recognizing that, wait a minute, shouldn't we actually be taking care of the people that are actually delivering those services to our customers? No, and they're just so, tools. We, exactly, they're there for us to throw exactly, away uh, the exactly. second we meet our goal, right? <laughs> exactly, and, and that's been really the key thing. And I think you combine that trend, which we see as being, you know, it's been a really damaging trend, is, is shareholder wealth versus employee health, with another trend, which is busyness. And what we just see is that leaders, under so much pressure, and we know that when we're under pressure, we are not necessarily the nicest people to be around. You know, we, we're not right. present with our folks. We don't, we don't, when they say, I have a problem, we either jump to give them a solution as opposed to looking at it as a development opportunity, or we really hope they'll just go away and they can feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's just lots of, to say, mm-hmm. not only in terms of where we come from, from, where we've come organizationally and from a business perspective, but also I think in terms of how we're working today and the work environments that we have created unintentionally, but are negatively impacting our leadership. Well, I I do think it's a complicated issue. uh, But one thing that I know my listeners uh, have heard me say over and over again, uh, I I really believe this idea of pressure and causing all of these problems. uh, I just don't don't buy it. And the reason I don't is because people, uh, pressure is a part of work. I mean, work's a four-letter word for a reason. You go there because you're earning a paycheck. You want to make a difference in the world. So you're going to have pressure to perform. Uh, Pressure becomes a scapegoat. It's something that that leaders have begun to say, well, I could be nicer if if I just wasn't under so much pressure. that, That excuse doesn't work today. Yeah. I totally agree with you, and at the same time, and this is really where we wanted to look at, from a scientific perspective, what we know is that when we're under pressure, when we're in environments that are filled with distractions, when we're constantly getting things, you know, beeping and buzzing and popping up, even the best of us, we're we're not at our best, basically because those conditions that, again, that we've created in our environment 
make us, basically, we, we have a condition called attention deficit trait, which just makes us more distractible, less present, less kind, actually, less creative. So it's, it's recognition that you're absolutely right. We can't use it as an excuse. But if we don't name it as part of the problem, as part of the challenge, then we can't necessarily be empowered to do something about it. Absolutely. I, now, I, I want to make it clear that I'm biased on this because uh, I, I worked with a guy that, uh, honestly, I, I, I just want to strangle him because he used uh, pressure and performance as an excuse for being a jerk. Right. And uh, there, there's, there's no excuse for being a jerk. You don't have right. to be a jerk. That's a choice. Yeah. Well, l- let's move on to a little bit more about the book because to me, one of the, th- uh, the thing I like about this, I, obviously this is a problem, but you guys are pr- promoting a three-pronged uh, solution. You call it MSC Leadership. Tell right. our listeners a little bit about what MSC Leadership is. Yeah, so... MSC leadership, so what we looked at is in our journey of talking to all these leaders and all the researchers, we were trying to come up with, you know, what are the core qualities that leaders can develop to be able to engage their people better, to still be able to support productivity, support collaboration, and build organizations that have higher performance. And the keys that we found were the three qualities of mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion. And just to make those really short, but mindfulness is basically the ability to be present with the people that you're with, to essentially be here now. Selflessness is basically the ability to recognize that it's not about you, and if you think it's about you, you shouldn't be in a leadership role because your job is actually to make it about them, (laughs) which is really simple. But it's hard because we know that we are all have an ego, and so selflessness is a lot about recognizing when that ego shows up and how to not let it get in your way of being able to be a good leader of your people. And then the final quality of compassion, and it's really, Steve, what you just talked about, you know, there's no excuse for being a jerk, but we know that compassion, and this is one of the things that we found, was that bringing caring and kindness into the workplace, number one, a lot of, a lot of people think that that would make me a soft leader, and it is actually it's completely not true, because bringing caring and compassion is the way to motivate people and build safety and build trust. Um, but it's also, it, it is something that, that, that people find difficult in terms of how do I do that, given everything else that I'm facing in my day-to-day leadership. Well, it so is tough. So those are the, the three yeah. qualities. Yeah, so those are the three qualities that we found to be critical for leaders today. Now, I actually uh, love the way that, uh, that you guys broke this out, because I think, uh, unfortunately, I think people today... Uh, maybe they're looking for uh, a too easy of solution because you do have to work on yourself. Yeah. And uh, this, this entire book is showing you how to start with yourself so you can work with other people. And, and I really love that part about it. But I do want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, when we talk about mindfulness, I don't think a lot of people really understand that. And I know you, you gave uh, a very good description of it. But in the book, uh, the thing that I loved uh, in the book is that you talk about being focused versus distracted and right. aware versus being on autopilot. Right. And that talk a little bit about that and how it really works. And, and what are people that are working for you? What do they observe whenever you can master this ability to be focused and aware and not be on autopilot? What, what are they seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing that I want to say about those qualities is that because of neuroplasticity, these are all things that 
as leaders, you're probably pretty good at being focused and aware most of the time. But what the research shows is that no matter what your starting point is, you can get better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing in terms of a leadership development journey. So specifically to break those categories down is, so when I'm focused versus distracted, and the key thing is looking at this from a mind perspective, again, getting back to why we titled it The Mind of the Leader, is that right now I could be very focused from the external perspective. It looks like I'm speaking to you. I'm having this lovely conversation. But from my mind, if my mind is cluttered, maybe I am thinking about, you know, what I'm going to say next, or maybe I'm thinking about what I'm going to do after this call. That means I'm distracted. So really, truly allowing yourself not to be distracted means being able to clear the clutter in your mind. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is that it's not easy, but it is trainable. And so real, true focus is really having clarity of mind. Now, the aware versus the autopilot side is equally interesting. We know from a scientific perspective that between 95 and 98% of our behaviors are actually done without paying attention. Mm-hmm. So, and it's simple things like right now, I hope I am breathing, and I'm not really paying attention to that, which is a good thing. Yep, it would be. I know that I can drive a car without actually paying attention to what I'm doing. That's not necessarily a good thing, but we all know that we can do that. So this, this category of looking at awareness versus autopilot is recognizing that from a brain perspective, we have an incredible ability to do things on autopilot. It doesn't, um, as leaders, what we need to do is we need to make sure we bring into our awareness of the things that we really need to pay attention to. So, right. for example, when somebody walks into our office, we could just be on autopilot and just assume we know what they're going to say because, you know, there's somebody who we know complains a lot, so we're just going to assume they're going to do that thing and they're going to whatever, whatever again, and we don't actually fully pay attention and we don't use our skill, which is a skill that can be trained, of our awareness to really say, well, you know, what are they really saying? What's the real issue going on here? And we miss that opportunity to really support them. Does that well, make sense? I, Does that help clarify it more? I think it, it helps tremendously. And, and I think that uh, all of us can think of a time whenever we were talking to one of our team members, but we were no more there than a man in the moon. I mean, exactly. we were already uh, doing something else or answering a different question. And you look at them and you think, my God, what did you just say? Yeah. And uh, I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Well, and I think even more so, because we not only look at it from you yourself as an individual leader, which is critically important, but, you know, such a simple example of these, of these qualities is mindfulness is just think of, you know, the last meeting that you had. Right. And how many people were, you know, subtly trying to text and maybe they were polite about it, they were doing it underneath <laughs> the, the table, but, you know, they might as well have got up and left the room, because essentially that's what they're doing. And honestly, the other thing that's, that's bad about that is, when they're texting underneath the table, they're distracting everybody else. So this idea of mindfulness and being focused versus distracted and aware versus autopilot is not just something to look at from an individual perspective, but for you as a leader to also look at how can you bring that in to your team and to your organization to be able to enhance everybody's performance and effectiveness. Well, as you and I both know, technology today, nearly every company is encouraging people to bring their laptops into meetings. They've got their phones, they've got their laptops. 
the, the simple fact is they're wasting probably, uh, in, in my view, about 47 minutes out of every 60 simply because nobody is ever really present. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I mean, mindfulness, if you want to look from a, a business case perspective, it's so easy. Cause we could walk into an organization and say, you know, Steve, you and I could do this together. We can save you that 47 minutes. Absolutely. Put away uh, your devices and pay attention to each uh, other. Jacqueline, and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with executives, and they, they almost go into shock when I tell them, well, the first thing you got to do is cancel this meeting, this meeting, and this meeting. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you're not accomplishing anything, so you might as well cancel the meeting until you figure out what's most important. Exactly. But the one thing that I want to add is that, I mean, those are really practical and obvious suggestions. But the other thing is to just, and I think that this is why bringing the science into it, we know our mind naturally wanders. Like, so for me to tell, I mentioned, you know, I've got three kids, for me to tell them to pay attention <laughs> is you know, I mean, that sounds great, but it doesn't mean they can. Mm-hmm. Our mind is predisposed from an evolutionary perspective to wander. And that's actually great because it means, you know, that's how we, you know, came up with a wheel and tools and other mm-hmm. things, right? It is through the wandering mind. But without recognizing, hey, just because the mind wanders, if I want to be able to be attentive to you right now, right here, I need to have a strong attentional muscle to be able to redirect my attention every time it wanders, to be able to be more effective. So it's, it's really not to say, hey, you know, we're bad people if our mind wanders or if we're not paying attention. It's to recognize that happens to all of us, but with training and with intention, we can actually overcome a lot of the limitations that occur to us in our day-to-day work. Absolutely, and uh, the cool thing is, uh, believe it or not, it'll sure help your marriage uh, if you <laughs> learn how to do that, all right? So... You don't want to work anywhere else better. Uh, learn how to deal with your spouse a little better by paying attention. It surely would be appreciated. I can guarantee you that. Uh, the other thing that, that I do want to briefly touch on today is selflessness. I, I think a lot of people understand compassion. I, I absolutely don't think they have a clue when it comes to selflessness. Uh, and so uh, if you don't mind, give us a little bit about what your thoughts are in regard to that and wh- what you were accomplishing here. Yeah, what was really interesting is when we set out originally in partnership with HBR to write the book, it was originally just going to be on mindfulness and mindful leadership. And what happened is it was actually selflessness and compassion really came through our research and our talking to so many senior leaders. And it just on kept on coming up. Then they said if they couldn't put their ego aside, that they were never going to be able to be successful as leaders. And specifically, what we started to really explore and and get behind was specifically how damaging an ego can be as a leader. Now, we all have an ego, um, and that's actually also how the brain works. We have a self-referential tendency to look at everything in the world through the lens of I, me, mine, which is not actually necessarily a good thing, but it's true. But we know that when we have a big ego, it basically makes us vulnerable to criticism, because if I have a big ego, then if you say something that you, you don't like me very much, that's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. It makes me susceptible to manipulation, because if I have a big ego and you know that, then you can actually tell me, Jacqueline, do this, it's going to make you look good, and mm-hmm. I will do that, even if it's not in my interest or in the best interest of the organization. We know that it narrows your vision because you're looking for things that are going to confirm your view of the world, so it prevents you from seeing things that might be problematic and in business, again, not very good. Um, It also, it corrupts your behavior, 
because you're going to be looking out for your best interest and not for your for your people. And ultimately, uh, an egoistic leader is is not generally somebody that that people want to work for. Uh, so it's it's just has a lot of downsides. So selflessness is really about overcoming our natural tendency. And the other thing that we know is that as we rise up in the leadership ranks, whether we like it or not, our ego actually grows. Um, so it does. It's, and it's it just to, not, to, to say that that's not true is, is, would be fooling ourselves. It's a fact so, of life. It's a fact uh, of it's, life. It's going to exactly. happen. So, and exactly. I mean, you get praised, and this is something that we talk about in the book, is that especially when you get to the C-suite level, you're in a little bubble where people, and one of, the, one of the senior execs we interviewed, he said, you know, I noticed ever since I became in the CEO chair that, you know, people laugh at my jokes a little harder. I don't <laughs> think I've actually become any funnier, but I know people are laughing more. And it's, they you know, are. They, yeah, exactly. And it's just this, so what we found is the leaders that really inspired us were the ones that said, I know that my ego is, is being stroked all the time. I know I'm in a bubble. And I've got to work so much harder if I want to be the kind of engaging and enabling leader that I think is going to be the right thing to be able to support my people and my organization. Great explanation, Jacqueline. But I I want you to address this question because I think a lot of times people uh, in leadership, they hear about selflessness and and it's got to be about the the team. Uh, But they often go to this area and, uh, and I don't think it's healthy. And so I just want you to address it. Uh, how, what would you say to someone that says that, all right, well, how is selflessness different from just having people like me? Right, right. Um, well, it is very different because, again, when we look at it, it's not about having people like you at all. It is really about focusing on them and focusing on the greater good of the organization as opposed to it all being about you. Mm. But it is a really great question because the truth is one of the other natural tendencies of the brain is that we are social beings. You know, we, like, I want you to like me, whether I admit that or not. That is also part of our makeup, and our ego wants that. So it's actually another way to be able to put the ego in check and say, you know, I have to make a tough decision, and it's going to affect some people, and they're not going to like it. But I'm the leader. I need to be able to do that and get over my ego's desire to be liked. So it's actually the practice of selflessness would, would actually enable you to, be, to, to overcome that natural tendency of wanting to be liked. I completely agree. And in the mind of the leader, you really help us understand how to think through that. And uh, for those of you that are really struggling with that, uh, I, I think you just have to get a copy of this book. It's going to help you navigate through those thought processes. Uh, one final question that I want to talk about, but before I get to that, why don't you share with our listeners uh, how they can connect with you and and learn more about the mind of the leader? Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a, a site for the pay, uh, for the book. It's called www.themindoftheleaderbook.com, and we're doing book launches in cities all around the globe, which is really quite exciting over the awesome. in the coming months. So if you want to come and meet us there, please check out that, uh, that book site page, and you can join us in a city near you. Uh, in addition to that, one of the things, and especially I think, Steve, for, for your listeners there today, we do want to, we're creating a global leadership network, and you'll find information about that on the website. 
really people that are passionate about this and, and want to have more conversations, and we want to be able to bring them together. And we've just found so many, the messages resonate so well with so many people that we wanted to, to create a network to be able to, to bring people together on this. So you can find out information about that. And then please feel free to email me directly, so Jacqueline.Carter at PotentialProject.com. As you can probably tell, I'm uh, ridiculously passionate about these topics and how to create more effective leaders and create more effective organizations and would be really happy to be part of any further conversations if you're interested. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Jacqueline. And for those of you that are exercising, don't hurt yourself. The links will be in the post. So uh, when you're done, you can easily connect and I highly recommend that you do. And you're going to want a copy of this book to study, I promise you, no doubt about it. Now, uh, one final thing that I want to, uh, to at least briefly address, uh, sometimes whenever we start talking about these things like mindfulness and compassion and selflessness, uh, I think people get the wrong idea and, and they forget, a, uh, th their excuse for not addressing these things would be, but what you don't understand, Steve, is that I've got pressure to achieve my goals and all this other stuff just, I mean, it just seems like a complete waste of time. Right. Tell us, I mean, I know that's a dumb thing to do, but tell us why uh, we, we should really pay attention to these things. What are the yeah. outcomes that we're going to experience when we do address this? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that, first of all, getting back to what we were talking about up front in terms of leadership crisis, I just think that the way that, that so many leaders are being trained or are working today is certainly not working in terms of, at least if you just look at engagement scores. Uh, so, so I would encourage you to try something different. Um, <laughs> and just as a starting point, even if, if it's just an experiment. But I think really, and it, and it is really something like if I think about when I first joined you know, Deloitte, I was happy to have a job. I was, you know, I had a leader, whether, you know, he or she was, was, was kind or not kind didn't matter because I had a tremendous amount of desire to stay within the organization. And, and that was a long time ago. And I think that we know that with the, you know, you talk about whether it's the millennials or the next generation, they are not happy with having a leader that's on some pedestal. They're not happy just having a job. They want somebody that they can connect with. They want somebody that's actually got their back and that actually cares about them, and, and they're looking for meaning and purpose. And you can argue with whether they should be or not. It doesn't matter. They're your next generation of leaders. <laughs> so it's almost like, and, and that was really, I think, that uh, one of the things that we kept on asking when we were talking to our leaders is, you know, do you see these things as soft? And they said, you know what? Whoever calls them soft hasn't tried them because they are hard. But they are so important because when we're present with our people, when we keep our ego in check, and when we bring caring and kindness into everything that we do, that's when magic happens in terms of you asked about outcomes, what we see, and the results that we talk about in the book when we see things like engagement scores going higher, we see creativity, we see collaboration, we see loyalty. Uh, and a lot of those things coming back into organizations that does eventually lead to productivity, performance, and better results. I love that. Great answer. And, and I just want to add to that and remind our listeners that, look, you can ignore it. Uh, but I want you to ask uh, yourself this question. How many of your own employees are willing to take a pay cut to see you fired? I mean, it, the, the simple fact is, uh, I, I want to encourage you to get your head out of your nowhere 
and start thinking about what can I do with my mind to improve myself and therefore improve my team and therefore improve the world around me. And I can assure you that uh, Jacqueline and uh, Rasmus' new book, The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results, will help you along that journey, just as it's helped me to uh, face some of the things that I need to improve on. And uh, Jacqueline, thank you so very much for your time. Uh, we wish you tremendous success in this book. I know it's going to be a bestseller for sure. And uh, thank you again for sharing your wisdom today. And we wish you nothing but luck and, and success in the future. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for all that you do to bring new insights into leadership. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Wasn't that a great uh, discussion today with Jacqueline Carter? Uh, the Mind of the Leader. I'll tell you, it's a great book. Please go get a copy of it. You won't regret it at all. And remember, uh, one of the key things that Jacqueline said, look, we've got to be real in order to be able to improve. So please uh, jump into this, really get passionate about it. You're going to be glad you did.